All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we're back for another episode, and this one I'm particularly excited about. Um, I have, first of all, return guest, Deshaun Jackson's with me, and a brand new guest, James Willis, is here with me. Thank you both for making time for the Boca Podcast community today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. And Deshaun, who commented there first, Deshaun was on the show back in episode 208. We talked a little bit about outsourcing, and if you haven't heard that episode, you haven't gotten to... Uh, have the opportunity to get to know Tashorn yet, make sure you go back to that episode. We'll link to it in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. That's episode 208. Some of the questions that I'm going to be asking James today, I asked Tashorn back in that episode, so you can go check that out. But we're going to actually get into a, a really interesting topic today, a conversation about investing for photographers. We're, we're in the middle right now dealing with the, the fallout from the coronavirus. And of course, one of the biggest stress or sources of stress is our finances. We don't have the ability to be able to, to go photograph sessions, photograph weddings, events uh, in most cases. And that's hurting our money, uh, hurting the money that we have in the bank um, and ultimately our ability to be able to generate revenue. And in recent couple, I guess the last two or three weeks, I've had the opportunity to begin to dig into the investing world, uh, for lack of a better description, stocks, options, and, and trading ultimately. Um, and I'm a, this is a rookie of all rookies at this. But the other day, Tashorn posted to his Facebook page um, something regarding uh, investing, which we'll, we'll talk about here just briefly in a second. And uh, I was like, hey, can we do a podcast? And, and then Tashorn told me about his friend James. And so here we are. And um, that's a long way of saying thank you both for making time to do this. And I'm really stoked to be able to share this conversation with our listeners. Absolutely, man. So we're going to get to that here in just a second. But as I mentioned earlier, James is a brand new guest to this podcast. And, and first and foremost, he's a photographer. And by the way, James, highly talented photographer at that. Um, <laughs> anybody who's, who's curious, if you want to go to James underscore Willis underscore photography, just like it sounds uh, on Instagram, we'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, you can also see his website at jameswillisphoto.com. We'll put that in the show notes. You'll be able to see James's work. Uh, in addition, of course, we also have a return guest. And by the way, Tashorn, this is unusual. You're one of the, 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 the lucky few. And of course, we're privileged to have you back, a uh, return guest on the show. And Tashorn's website is tashornjackson.com, just like it sounds. And Tashorn Jackson on Instagram. We'll put that all in the show notes at bocapodcast.com as well. But James, I wanted to kind of direct this first set of questions to you. Um, first of all, let's talk about your brand position. Um, you're currently in what market? I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth market, Dallas, okay. Texas. And which is a massive market. I can only imagine how many photographers you're kind of competing against, if you will. Um, but it, within that marketplace, uh, something that I like to ask our guests is, what is your brand position or what, what is the unique value proposition your business brings to that marketplace? Well, I think, you know, my, my goal is to always try to uh, shoot for emotions, right? Because, you know, I, I not only want to remind my couples of how they look, but my ultimate goal is to remind them how they felt on a, on a wedding day. Mm. Cause I feel that, you know, those moments uh, that happens throughout the wedding day is going to truly last the test of time. And I hate to sound so cliche, but uh, I always try to remind my clients that you may look back on your wedding day and you may question, you know, why the heck did we wear that? Why the heck did I wear that wedding dress? Why the heck did I, I wear that suit or that tux? But you're never going to question why did I cry when I walked in the aisle? Yeah. Why did I cry when I saw you walking, you know, you know, on the aisle? So 
So emotions, I, I really try to shoot uh, for emotions because I truly want to, I truly want to give my clients something that they can truly look back and truly resonate on how they felt on their wedding day. So that's what I try to, that's, that's my, that's the way I try to separate myself from this huge market in Dallas. And we know it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. It is. But man, this is, so I'm actually on the homepage of your website and I scrolled down um, and it's actually at the very bottom. And I'd love to see this at the very top of the page because it's so brilliantly communicated. And one of the things that photographers have a difficult time of is communicating concisely and, Mm -hmm. and briefly and yet effectively. And there's this statement that simply says, photography that will remind you how you felt. And, you know, photographers in various ways will talk about the significance of feelings or emotion or they use these various words and kind of repeat and copy each other. Um, I love the way that you've communicated this because I haven't really seen it portrayed or communicated in this way on any other photographer's website that I can remember. And I've been in the industry for close to 20 years, but it so concisely and beautifully sums up what it is that you just talked about. Photography that will remind you how you felt. And I, seriously, I'd love to see this at the top of the page because it's it's one of the more brilliant brand position statements that, I, that we've even had here on the on the podcast. So props to you for coming up with that. Absolutely. Well, I, I'll definitely consider putting it, moving it. Yeah. Well, you Thank know, you. one of the things, and for our listeners' sake, um, one of the things that we talk about with a brand position statement, one of the most effective ways to communicate it is to have it there on the homepage of the site above the fold. So without having to scroll, that potential client immediately sees what makes this photographer different than another photographer. And the reality is these days, there are a lot of photographers that can take a, a pretty picture, some more than others potentially, but a pretty picture is no longer good enough to try to sell a new client. So then the question is, okay, amongst this noise of just so many photographers, how do we stand out? One of the ways to do that is to be able to concisely communicate what makes us different from other photographers. And while other photographers may focus on trying to capture emotion, James, you're one of the first, it seems, that has been able to concisely sum up that idea and communicate it really succinctly. And, And so again, brilliantly done. Um, and for those of you listening in, make sure you go check out jameswillisphoto.com and you can check this out. But to the next question for you, um, first of all, how many years have you been in business? Uh, I would say overall, uh, so far as just a photographer in general, uh, about eight years now. Okay. Wedding photography, uh, about six. Okay. Awesome. So eight years total. And, and the reason I ask for that is just to give context to, to my question, which has to do with customer experience. So during that eight year time frame. Um, shooting weddings and potentially other other work as well. What has been one of the most important principles that you've learned about customer experience or providing a great customer experience? Well, what you know, over the years, I, I found kind of piggyback on, on that emotional aspect. Uh, one of my main goals is to to gain a connection with my clients, and you know, and, and within gaining that connection, it allowed me to get up close and personal. Yeah. So my clients can trust me to be a part of those intimate moments without having me to get out or, you know, uh, it may be too camera aware. So by establishing that relationship and in addition, that trust into knowing that I am going to accomplish the goal that they hired me to do. So when it comes time to maybe pull them at a certain part of the time of the wedding, uh, whether it's during the middle of reception, I may have an idea. So when I approach my client, I ask them, Hey, look, I have an idea. Won't you, you know, just give me a few minutes. They automatically, they're automatically going to follow through because they know if James come in to tell them that I have something to do, they're going to trust me and they're going to follow my lead and allow me to, you know, to do what they hired me to do. Sure. Versus, you know, kind of giving me that hesitation. 
uh, you know, but them understanding it and, and we've established that relationship well before the wedding and just kind of just throughout the process leading up to the wedding. That, to me, I found that that has helped uh, me to allow to be able to capture those up close and personal images that I, that I try to display and try to allow me to separate myself from the market as much as I can. And, you know, one of the things that we hear from photographers quite a bit is that they are, they, they consider themselves introverts, right? And, and what that, what they're really saying basically is they're, they're a bit shy. The idea of getting to, to know somebody that they don't know or being in a group of people that they don't know, they're uncomfortable with that idea. What's something that's enabled you to, um, I guess, step beyond any potential apprehension of, and, and maybe you're just naturally an extrovert, more of an extrovert, but what's something that has enabled you to comfortably connect with somebody that you don't know um, prior to, to meeting that client? Well, I think if, if you have a confidence in your skill and your skill level, and, and, and I, that comes through, you know, years of experience learning from other photographers and you have a confidence in your ability to able to produce. And, 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 and I always try to put myself in a position to be able to, to get those images. Yeah. Cause if you're not in a position to be able to get those images, you're not going to get them. Interesting. You know, so that confidence is what allowed me to be able to put myself and get up and close and personal uh, because I, I feel, you know, I know what I'm doing. And by I know what I'm doing, you know, since I know what I feel like I know what I'm doing, I have the confidence to go in and put myself out there and knowing that I'm going to be able to produce a product or some images that my, that, that my clients are going to love. So I think it's that confidence that I've been able to gain over the years yep. that have allowed me to be able to put myself in positions that that give me that that comfort and that confidence to not have that that uh, that shyness or that be or feel introvert because I am an introvert to a degree I guess okay if you can say you can you can be uh, I guess fifty fifty I do <laughs> I feel that I am a fifty fifty introvert if you want to call it but I think that confidence that I have in my craft allows me to go beyond my personal feelings or my, the per, my, my, my personal way of being. But when it comes down to the craft of photography, it allows me to step outside of that and, 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 and be more uh, up close and personal and have that extrovert type of personality when it comes down to photography. That makes sense. And I, I mean, side note, and this is really a loaded conversation for another time. I'm, I'm a pretty big believer in the idea that we can ultimately be what we want to be. And a lot of it's just understanding the psychology behind why we feel the way that we do and just making adjustments. But um, nonetheless, I, I, I don't think I've heard this angle on it before. So I really like your take on, you know, a lot of it has to do with just confidence in what what in your craft ultimately. And you've, Absolutely. you've put the time in the, you have the experience and you're able to bring that to the table and that enables you to be able to confidently, confidently step up and get to know this person you've never known before, because you know, you're going to bring your A game with that camera, um, which I think is pretty brilliant to Sean, I didn't actually have the opportunity to ask you this question in our interview. So I'd love your take. What, what is one of the most important principles you've learned about providing a good customer experience for your clients? Uh, for me, authenticity matters. Hmm. Um, a lot of times consumers, they look at photographers as, you know, as sometimes just shallow. Uh, we only post the, the most beautiful photographs, but if we just learn to be authentic, we become more relatable. And I always preach that to my clients. I'm all about authenticity, even on wedding day. Um, what you, you know, last one you went to, that's not my concern. You know, your bridesmaid, you saw this happen there. That's not my concern. I'm concerned about what's happening on your wedding day. 
let's make it let's capture the authenticity of your day because oftentimes we get caught up in the hype of social media oh i saw this you know last week or yesterday i want to do the same thing but you don't understand the conditions that made these photographs happen let's focus on your day and make it real as and as authentic as possible that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Initially when you said authenticity, I mean, we talk about this, you hear this word a lot in our industry. And a lot of times photographers are talking about themselves and being authentic. You're talking about encouraging the client to be authentic, to be themselves, not trying to copy somebody else. Yeah. It makes it, makes it both. Um, because we all know who we are as photographers. Okay. You'll see people try to be other photographers and not being the they true authentic selves. So I think once you become authentic, that starts to resonate in your work as well, because you know who you are. And your client buys into that and then they will, you can kind of help them be authentic themselves because it's hard to tell them to be authentic when you're not being who you are. As yeah. Well. Yeah. That, that's, that's very true. <laughs> Good lesson. A good reminder for all of us. I appreciate your perspective on that. James, I'm going to come back to you. Talk to me about time a little bit as a business owner. How have you learned to better manage time over the last eight years and balance running a photography business, but then also having a personal life? Well, I think finding other activities that you enjoy uh, and, and that allow that that will allow you to pull yourself away from the photography as much as we enjoy photography. I think sometimes we we get way too focused on the photography because we do enjoy. It. And I think if you find other activities that you can also enjoy, you know, uh, that'll that'll help pull you away from you know, the photography itself. And it'll help free your, free your time up to be able to do, whether it's, you know, spending time with your family, you know, kids, you know, being making sure you're being present in the moment of other things that you have going on. You know, turning your mind off of photography. Because I remember just uh, when I kind of first got into photography, I could not put it down at all <laughs> yep. because I was just so focused on, you know, just wanting to learn and, uh you know, learning editing, shooting, you know, just understanding the whole craft of photography. And, and I did that for many, many years, you know, to the point where I, I kind of felt like I, I got burnt out. But it wasn't until I started finding pleasure in other things that allowed me to give it, a, it's to allow me to balance the photography out and then still enjoy the photography and still put, you know, my all into the craft. But at the same time, understand that there is a life outside of photography, you know. So, uh, it, it, again, I mean, easy, whether it's, you know, I, you know, right now I, I'm picking up my lawn care. Like I, I want to have a golf course style lawn, you know. So that's something that my, that's something that is allowing me to, to put some other focus into another goal into other than just strictly just photography. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And, and again, this is an interesting perspective I haven't heard before. But, you know, we can talk about time management principles, and they play a significant role in giving us freedom, flexibility as business owners. But just on a very basic conceptual level, philosophical level, making sure that we don't get caught up in just one thing can help minimize in a long term, it can certainly help minimize burnout. Um, but exactly. I, my perspective on it anyway is it helps minimize boredom too. And, and honestly, boredom from the other side, like people experiencing us, if all we know, because I've been around people before who all they knew was their profession and used the conversation branch outside of that. And they were suddenly just like total deadbeats in the conversation because they had nothing to offer. And one of the things that I've learned personally, and frankly, still have a lot of work to do, but I, cause I, I easily get drawn in and go extreme on stuff. Like I, I started riding motorcycles a few years ago and I just went hardcore into it. 
Um, and, and yet I think it's better. You can ultimately be a more interesting person. You can certainly have more, more freedom and, and ultimately, um, enjoy life. I think a little bit better if we, if we proactively add a bit of variety in there. So yeah, sure. You're a photographer. That's great. Spend a chunk of time doing that thing, but then add in this, this particular interest or this hobby or spend time doing this thing or go hang out with this person, mix it up. Uh, because it'll help minimize burnout. It will encourage creativity, actually, to have variety in your life um, and just make us more interesting people in the end, I think. Absolutely. And, and that's, 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 you pretty much summed it up. That's pretty much the approach that I, I had to learn over the years to just to balance my time out, find other things that interest me and yeah. go after those things and, and, and try to be just as accept- successful, you know, as I was in the photography. So like right now, again, I'm, I'm just hardcore on, you know, just making my lawn as per as perfect as possible. Now, as silly as that is, that may sound to to other people, but you know, that is something that I, I enjoy now. Yeah. You know, so you know, and, and that's allowing me to you know, especially with this downtime that we're having because of you know the virus and everything, that's giving me another avenue. You know, to focus instead of being you know kind of just stagnant and and just kind of just chasing my tail, that's giving me something else to focus on. I love and it. Enjoy you know, until we pick back up with photography. Absolutely. No, that's, that's good. That's a great reminder for all of us. Uh, but another element of time management is delegation or outsourcing. Is, is this an idea or concept or principle that you've experimented with in your business? Tashorn, I know, has shared her perspective on it in episode 208. Um, but James, I'd love your take on this as well. So that, that is something I have to work on, right? So uh, delegating, I, I, I pretty much handle everything. Here, uh, kind of just with everything happening, you know, you kind of step back and you try to evaluate sure. know, a lot of things, you know, whether it's in your life and your photography or your business. And so delegation is going to be one of my, so far as outsourcing, I want to outsource my images kind of going forward. So that's, that's going to be one of the first steps that I do, you know, once everything, you know, kicks back off. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be one of the main things, but, but that has, that has been an issue for me in the past, and I'd be curious to actually get your your take on that. And I, first of all, I appreciate your transparency and openness about it. But uh, because I think a lot of photographers can relate to that idea, M- most of us, and, and certainly I've been guilty of it too. Like we're, we hold on to, you know, whether as a photographer when I was shooting weddings or since starting Photographers Edit, running an editing company, um, I have a tendency in some cases anyway to kind of hold on to things because there's this, even if it's subconscious, there's this kind of feeling that, well, I need to do it in order to be you know, a, a better business owner. I need to do it or it's not going to get done right. And there are various excuses that we make, but what are, what's the reasoning uh, for you for not having experimented with delegation until now? I'd love to hear your thought process. I, I just think, you know, because you want, you know how you want your work to look. Sure. And, you know, you put all this time and you put all this time and energy into, you know, creating, you know, your brand look of, the, you know, where your images look. And so, it's hard to separate yourself from that and put that in the hands of someone else. But I think at this point I've created, I've created, I guess you could say that, that recipe. So to the point where I can uh, give it off to someone else and they can, I guess you could say duplicate my look to, you know, a degree of accuracy of, of, of what I can create for myself. So, sure. and that, and that, again, all of that comes with time. And unfortunately, some people, it takes longer than others. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel that I am, I have created, uh, I guess you could say, the basis of, of my photography, of the look 
that I can, you know, so far, whether it's actions, whether it's presets or whatever that I've created right. for myself, now I can, I guess, hand that off to someone else and, and, and help me out with that. Because I, delegation is something that I do need to step away from. Or I mean, I need to, not step away from, but I, I need to delegate. And, step and into, yeah. Have more time to, to put into the business. No, that's, that's yeah. great. But, but I have to say though, I empathize with your pain too, because I, again, I have, I, this is something that I've continued to, I guess in some ways kind of struggle with a little bit. Um, I mean, I, and it's ironic because of course my editing company is all about outsourcing photographers edit. We offer custom editing for professional photographers. And yet at the same time, I'm still struggling with the idea of delegation in some cases. My biggest struggle has been learning how to effectively communicate what I want because I'm, I'm open to the idea of delegation, but then making sure that I'm actually communicating what I want done in a way that actually resonates with the person on the other side has been my biggest challenge. And I'm still learning that. You made an interesting point in that regard, James, that that you, at this point, you spend enough time in your business, you know the look and feel that you want. And I think that's part of the issue that some photographers struggle with is they're not actually clear about what it is that they want. In fact, some cases they'll actually come to us and say, hey, can you help us establish an editing style? Because we, we don't really know where to go with it. Um, and, and that's a conversation in and of itself. But I think in many cases, photographers will, will attempt to delegate something, whether it's editing or something else. And they're not actually clear about what it is they're looking for in the first place. And, and then they get frustrated because the company on the other side is not able to provide a, a final product that matches what they want. But the reality is the photographer didn't know what they wanted in the first place. And so they didn't clearly communicate what they wanted in the first place. And, and it then ends up just being kind of a losing game for both sides. So I love that you're clear about what it is that you want. And I hope that you find really great success in that process of, of delegation. And I would encourage everybody listening in to consider that too. I mean, this isn't great opportunity to set up an account with an editing company or other companies, album design companies or otherwise. Uh, to begin delegating, you can go ahead and start that process now where you've got extra time and be in a really great place when business picks back up. Uh, but yeah. I, I want to move on to the next question, James, and then we're going to move into this conversation about investing, which I'm really excited about. But talk to me about the most impactful business or self-help book, maybe even podcast that you've heard or, or read in the last few years. Uh, as it relates to photography, uh, I, think, uh, I think one of the sources that's been more impactful on, on my business and me as a, as a photographer is attending workshops, right? Just getting hands-on experience and guidance from some of the best and, and, and them being able to show you uh, exactly, you know, what they do to, to create the images, you know, that they create and, and, and just kind of gaining and learning about their journey that allowed them to be at the level that, that they've been able to achieve. So uh, that's been one of the, the greatest aspects of uh, resources that I've been able to do over the last, I've been to, I don't know, six, seven, maybe 10 workshops. Okay. And all of them after each one of those workshops, I've, I've been able to elevate my photography to some degree. And so I would say that that has played one of the biggest impacts on my photography and my skills over the years. Now, first, there's a couple of things that, that come to mind here. First of all, when I hear workshops these days, kind of everybody is doing a workshop of some kind, right? Everybody's trying to sell education in some way. Um, and the result is, in some cases, you get 
subpar experiences at workshops or subpar level of education. I'm, I'm really impressed by the fact that you've been able to take something away from every one of the workshops that you've been to. Um, I think that's partially speaks to the quality of the workshop you've gone to. Part of it probably is just your mentality. You're looking for an opportunity to improve. And even if it's a, a small piece of something, you take that away and you go implement it, um, which is really great. But I'm curious of, of all those workshops that you've been to, James, is there one in particular that stands out that you would recommend to our listeners? I've been to two-man workshop. Uh, I went to Canada yes. uh, last year in January. That was that was very, very impactful. Okay. I've been to Joshua Dwayne's workshop. Uh, it's been about uh, four, four, three or four years now. Uh, but just to name just those two. Okay. I would say those are the two that that I can definitely measure and, and see that, okay, there's a change. There's a shift. Yeah my skill level after attending, you know, their workshop. So I can definitely, you know, just from off top, those two definitely uh, stands out and and where I can definitely see uh, a difference in my ability as a photographer after attending the workshop. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll, we'll try to find links to both of those and put them in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for anybody listening in who is curious. By the way, for anybody listening in, if you don't take advantage of the show notes, make sure to start doing that because if you go to bocapodcast.com, first of all, Haley's done a wonderful job organizing and categorizing all the content that we're creating. This is going to be something like episode 415 that I've recorded. We have a lot of content and it is quite well organized, actually, if you just go to bocapodcast.com. But if you go to an individual episode and you see this this conversation with Sean and James, you can see the show notes. So the, the resources that are mentioned, um, the talking points from the conversation, you can see all of that in the show notes at bookapodcast.com. Make sure to take advantage of that um, going forward. But we're going to go ahead and move into kind of our primary focus for today. Um, I'm a little bit apprehensive partially because I'm such a rookie that I'm probably going to say words and phrases that don't, don't even totally make sense. <laughs> if somebody's listening in, they're like, what in the world is Nate even talking about? Um, I'm going to admit up front that I am a just absolute newbie to this whole whole conversation. Um, I've dabbled a little bit. I've had the opportunity to make a little bit of money, but I'm the last person in the world that needs to be making really any recommendations. And so the other day when Tashorn uh, posted on Facebook, he, he actually he made a comment, which is very interesting. Tashorn, I'm going to ask you to elaborate on this in, in just a second. But he said, when you don't know, you miss opportunities. And as I alluded to earlier in this environment right now where finances are a very volatile topic as photography business owners, because we largely don't have the ability to generate revenue, the question becomes, okay, I mean, I'm in this situation now, but moving forward, if we run into any kind of volatility in the marketplace like this again, and I don't have the ability to generate revenue, how else can I do so? How can I think proactively for the future? And this is why I think this is one of the most important conversations to be having right now. Um, so again, Sean, we'll come to you in just a second. James, I, something I didn't mention at the very beginning is that you're also an accountant. I mean, you actually studied accounting in college, correct? I did. And and so was that something that you went and practiced after the fact at, at a firm or what's what's kind of your background in accounting and maybe just briefly in, in investing as well? I did. So actually, uh, so after college, I, I went and worked for a couple of accounting firms, okay. audit firms. I've done primarily uh, financial audit and internal audit. I, I'm actually practicing internal auditing right now. Okay, cool. But I, I do have about four or five years of financial audit uh, in the industry. So but outside of that, uh, mainly internal audit uh, has been my current career path for the last what, 10 years. Okay. So I do have experience in financials, uh, but 
I will say it's a it's, it's one thing to know financials, but it's also knowing how knowing financials and how to apply them to invest it. Interesting. There's a difference. For sure. Well, and, and just to give um, further context to this conversation, I, I want to emphasize the fact that this this conversation and the things that we're going to say here and maybe even suggestions that, that are made are not meant to be professional uh, recommendations or professional advice. I, I, at the very least, and this is what I said to James and to Sean before we started recording, I just said, I want this to be, if nothing else, some food for thought. I want this. I want to start a conversation in the photography industry for those who have never considered or not spent a lot of time in the world of investing to at least begin to consider it um, and to, to at least be aware of even the basic moving parts associated with investing. And, and so, I, I, again, I appreciate so much to Sean and James coming to hang out with me today. James, will you just expound a little bit on your experience with investing? And then to Sean, I'd love for you to give the same context before we jump into the questions. Uh, so, you know, I, I started off investing, stock investing you know, about four or five years ago. Okay. It, it just happened... I think a, 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 one of my coworkers and I, we, we, was, we was talking and I think he said that he had, you know, dabbled in it a little bit. And then uh, I looked into it. And so I started out, I, I opened up an account with one of the online online apps. And then from there, me being a perfectionist that I am, you know, I started looking more and more, more and more into it. And in the beginning, as a rookie, didn't know anything. Uh, made a lot of the rookie mistakes that I, I'm sure that uh, a lot of people are probably doing now. <laughs> Myself and, included, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I lost some money. Yeah. I did lose some money. But then again, I, I started, you know, uh, researching and doing, you know, all of my due diligence. Uh, and over time, I, I, I began to learn the the basic fundamentals of investing. And that from there, I was able to you know, kind of that was a building block for me to become where I'm at now and, and, and gain the knowledge that I know now about investing. And we, we'll speak about some of those different things, you know, throughout throughout the show. But the basic fundamentals is the one of the main things that you need to obtain when it comes down to investing, because otherwise you might as well just go to Las Vegas. <laughs> pretty much gambling with your money if, if you don't understand the fundamentals of investing. It's it's so true. I mean, I've I've been frankly I've been kind of overwhelmed over the last few days or so because um, I, I invested in a um, in a service that is not only giving me education but making recommendations, and I'm and I'm getting these emails and and I'm reading through the emails. I was actually talking to my daughter about this a little bit earlier. I was like, you know, I'm getting these emails. And there may be a recommendation in there, but there's there are words and phrases being used that I don't un, I don't even understand. Um, and so it's a good opportunity for me then to go back and take the time to even take one of these emails that's being sent out and break it down and look up the words and phrases, begin to understand the principles behind it. I've also bought a couple of books. Um, I've been going through some through a video series as well. Uh, it, the, the interesting thing to me about this, one of the inter- interesting things about this conversation to me, especially during a, a really a terrible market situation at the moment in some ways um, is that you actually have a really incredible opportunity to make money. I mean, the other day I invested some money and within the span of maybe a couple of days, I was already up four grand, but then the reality set in and that money quickly moved away from me, uh, shall we say? And I won't get into the details now because I don't want to confuse anybody or, or, or communicate incorrectly, shall we say? But nonetheless, there's opportunity to make a lot of money even. There's also opportunity, as James pointed out, especially if you're working, you don't know what you're doing, to lose a lot of money. 
And uh, so at the very least today, I, wa- I want to begin the conversation about investing in the basics and encourage everybody to listen in, take some of this information, then go do the research, hire a professional and get into this because there's an opportunity to not only begin to make money now, but to set yourself up for the future, which I think is particularly poignant. To Shorn, I'd love to get a little bit of context to it and your background and your experience investing so far. All right. So for me, I came to this country, United States in 1996. I was a junior in high school. And, you know, I've been to the U.S. prior, but that was our last time moving to the United States. Okay. And my uncles used to wear Air Max all the times. And being that we're you know, immigrants, my parents were like, Air Max, that's great, but we can't afford those Air Max. You can get the basic tennis shoes at the store, Kmart. Yeah. yeah, okay? yeah. And that, that was so my life, liked- by the way. That's, that's, the, that's the family <laughs> I grew up in. <laughs> Kmart was yeah, the place so- to go. <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, I hope you get something on sale there. <laughs> yeah. But I've always loved Nike Air Max. I wanted those tennis shoes. I went to college, and I said, I'm going to go to college for two years, get an associate's degree, and I can always go back. I remember I graduated college August of 2000, and I got, got employed the week prior. And going to work the following week, I remember getting my first paycheck. And what did I do? I went to buy tennis shoes. Hmm. Everything I've always wanted as a struggling immigrant I decided I'm going to satisfy my desire for those things. Every check was a pair of tennis shoes, Air Max, or a pair of Jordans. Because again, every kid wants some Jordans. Yeah. And as a 20-year-old, I'm seeing money I've never seen before. Um, but one thing I did do well was I opened up my 401k. I didn't know what it was, but someone told me, when you start your job, open up a 401k. Your company will match that. So at 20 years old, I opened up my 401k. And I was contributing to that every two weeks. Wow. But the rest of my salary was always going to tennis shoes, polo sweaters, jackets, and all these things. That, <laughs> I mean, and I looking back, that's why I made the Facebook post. Yeah. Because buying Nike's tennis shoes had someone taught me about investing at 20 years old outside of my 401k. I could have purchased those Nike stocks in 2000, you know, every single year, uh, along with other companies that have been doing well over that, that time span. So as I look back now, at 40 years old, I was like, my goodness, I missed out a lot of opportunities. And I've always had a, I've always said this, opportunities doesn't go away. It just goes to someone else who's prepared. Hmm. But for me, investing now, I remember when I got laid off for my one and only career in, um, in architecture, I went to a workshop, Robert Kiyosaki, learn about stocks and yeah. options. That was in 2000 and I got laid off in 2011. I went to that workshop in 2012. Um, it's one of those sales pitches where you have to upgrade your education. And I was like, I think I learned enough to get started. And I opened up, an, I think it was an E-Trade account in 2012. Okay. I bought a couple of stocks based on what I'd learned. I didn't know much. But I knew you know, what to look for, kind of. And I bought a couple of stocks. And 2012, I'm starting to run other businesses before I even went full-time with photography. So I let the account sit there since 2012 and didn't do anything with it until maybe 2016. Okay. One of my old friends, her husband, he's an investor in Houston. And I'm seeing he's doing this education. I'm like, what's going on here? And eventually went to Houston. We had dinner at the house. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing these investings. I paid off our house. He's a millionaire now. And I'm like, all this time you're doing this, you didn't tell me about investing? <laughs> I'm like, I could have been in the trenches with you. Yeah. And so he did a webinar online. I said, I'll support the webinar because I want to learn some more. Sure. And he went, he like explained a lot of things that most people don't really understand. Hmm. You know, the PE ratios and all these different things. And I opened up another, I opened up another brokerage account, forgetting I already had one open since 2012. And, you know, 
you started start investing some, but then life catches up with you, you know, photography business, and you forget about it until you realize the market's crashed. Things might be on sale right now. Hmm. That's where that started that conversation started sparking from. Well, and, and what's interesting is um I just did a brief bit of math, but you I think you mentioned that the Air Maxes, the Nike Air Max shoes were like 125 bucks back then. Uh, at the same time, Nike's stock was about five bucks a share. <laughs> Uh-huh. Nike's stock has since gone up over 2000%. So if you had taken that same money and invested in Nike, it'd be worth over five grand at the moment, um, which is a crazy thought when you think about it. And I hope the math is right on that. Nonetheless, you could have made a lot of money. And I think it's a poignant reminder for everybody that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with buying stuff that we want to buy. But at, at the end of the day, if we're thinking as photography business owners, if we're thinking proactively in a financial level, which um, many of us, myself included, are not are they're guilty of not doing right, so it, it's easy just to kind of get fixated on in the moment and and constantly reacting to whatever's happening and just desperate to make enough money to pay the bills. And the last thing that we're doing is thinking big picture about our finances. And so that's this is why I think the, the conversation is so important. Uh, first of all, just to, to be more proactive in financial management, but then to go beyond that and think about the future. And think about how we set ourselves up for financial stability, not just when times are good, but also when they're down uh, so that, you know, we don't have to be so stressed out like so many photographers are at the moment. So that being said, um, I want to come back to James. We're going to kind of jump back and forth between Deshort and James. But James, um, you, you already shared your background. You're not just a photographer. You're an accountant, an auditor, um, and then an avid investor as well. Why do you think that photographers tend not to be particularly proactive in managing and building their finances outside of just kind of simply taking payments from their clients? Well, I think what happens, you know, as an individual uh, business owner, I, I think we get too overprotective okay. of the business and the money that we make. Yes. You know, and so because of that, I don't think we think outside of the photography in other ways because we don't want to we don't want to run the risk of losing what we work so hard for because this is pretty much all we have. This is pretty right. much all we have to fall back on. Right. So I think, you know, so putting that money into the hands or risking it, I think we shy away from wanting to do anything outside of the photography. And I think, you know, but that's where actually learning uh, the aspects of the foundations of photography it can give you a little bit of peace of mind because everything still comes with risk. Right. But you can reduce the amount of risk mm. from, a, from a peace of mind standpoint if you understand the fundamentals of investing. And that's what's important when it comes down to it. But I think, yeah, I, I think we just become too overly protective yes. of the business and, the, you know, the, the money that we earn we, we tend not to want to risk it. And that's something that, that I experience. I'm, and I'm that's speaking strictly from experience. Sure, you know, sure. when you put so much time and energy, you know, it, this is your baby, you know, this is, this is, this is all you have. And to lose it, you know, to, to lose some of this, which you work so hard for, you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to deal with that. But I think if, again, if you, there it is, you know, thinking outside of the photography and seeing how you can leverage some of this money that we make, you know, and some of us do well. We can leverage some of this money that we make to be a, you know, a, a, a third source of income without having to really do anything. Right. So I, I'm curious because I can under, I can also relate from personal experience and being in a very defensive mode. I think back to when I was shooting weddings, and unfortunately, despite the fact that we were booking so many clients and ended up charging as much as ten thousand dollars for our wedding. 
I, I just didn't manage finances well. And we could have been in a really great place and yet we weren't. And so we were in that kind of reactive defensive mode. Is there, and a lot of photographers would probably say, well, yeah, of course I'm in that defensive mode. I'm protective. I don't have a lot of money. I'm, I'm, yeah, I have clients, but at the end of the day, you know, I might have a few hundred dollars to stick in savings and that's it. The idea of as you said, taking the risk to invest is just overwhelming to me. What would you say to a photographer like that? Um, it's just a, kind of a first step that they might take to at least begin moving in the direction of having even a few extra dollars to, to begin investing. I think, uh, number one, you need to determine what's your investment goal. Okay. Is it, is it a short term? Is it long term? So let's say, for instance, like, you said you you invested some money in, in, in overnight or how many however many days you was able you was up for a thousand dollars. Right. Now as a short term investor, you you would have cashed in. But as long term, as a long term investor, you really don't you really don't care what happens in the short term. Right, right. Whether he was up four thousand, whether he was down four thousand. It's about the long term vision. Right. And that's that's what's key. Because even though you would have been up four thousand within those couple of days, but your long-term vision, you would be up 40,000. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So that, so the short term, yeah, you could have cashed out within that short term and taken out the 4,000. But if you're thinking long-term, uh, which for me, a lot of my long-term goals are five years or older, okay. that $4,000 gain would be forty, fifty thousand $50,000 for me. So that's that's what I'm looking for. That so makes I'm sense. a long term investor. Okay. Myself, I don't I don't necessarily trade. I, I look for long term uh, companies to invest in because I really want the the I really want the home run. I want the value that that company can bring to me in the long term, not in the short term. That that totally makes sense. Um, and and I was kind of laughing as you were saying. You know, it, it, you were you were putting it very nicely, saying if you're in the short term, then you would have cashed out. I'm thinking, yeah, if I'd had half a brain, I would have cashed out because <laughs> at, at that point, it, it was I, if we were to categorize it, probably more of a short term investment. I didn't cash out, and then it very quickly dropped off. Um, nonetheless, being very specific about goals is really important. We're going to actually talk about some of the basics of investing here in just a bit. But to come back to my original question, James, do you think? I mean, for somebody who is really apprehensive and, and realistically, like they look at their bank account, maybe there was only a couple grand in there, and so so the idea of, of investing any of it just seems like uh, they're just too freaked out to even consider that idea. What is this very small step that they can take, even if it's not right the second, maybe in the next month or the next two months that they can take so that proactively they set aside money or they can generate a little bit of extra money in order to begin this process of investing? Right. So I think, you know, especially with people like with more limited funds and uh, or even limited knowledge or time to actually put into it. It's, it's the idea is to start from somewhere. So either that's with stocks or it can be with mutual funds or index, index funds. Uh, without going too much in, in, in details, if you want to put something away without having to really monitor it or look at it, right? It, 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 those type of people want to look more into like more index, index investing, uh, buying uh, mutual funds, uh, you know, all the like, you know, you want to look into those, but for people who actually want to be into it, be involved in it, stock investing uh, would be the route to go, which is, that's the route that I take. And because I, I really enjoy, you know, researching, researching the stock and, 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 and based off of the research that I do, I invest. But to answer your question, I, the, the goal is you, you, you want to start off 
slow, regardless if you have a large amount of money or you have a small amount of money, because you don't want to just put all of your money in at one time. You want to start off buying small increments yes. of the company that you're interested in. And the reason why you want to do that is because you want to, so say for instance, you have XYZ company and the company is it, it, it's, it's $10 a share, right? So you buy, and your goal is about 100 shares. So let's say, for instance, you buy 10 shares, right? You buy 10 shares at, at, the, at that dollar amount. That's 10 other shares, so you, that's, 100, that's 100 bucks. So let's say, for instance, that the stock dropped. It, dropped, it drops to $70. Yeah. So now you have the opportunity to buy in more. Now you can average down your costs, right? So now instead of you having an average cost of $10 a share, so because you bought it, now you put in more money, but you put it in at a lesser price. Now you had the opportunity to buy more shares, but now you had the opportunity to average down your costs. Right. And that's the reason why you shouldn't just buy. You just shouldn't just go all in, you know, all your money in at one time. For you sure. Buy small increments and buy a little at a time. So you won't just have all of your eggs at one time. You have that opportunity to average your costs. But but I think what I want to highlight in this case, because you're, you're getting into some of the principles behind some of the basic principles behind investing, which we are going to touch on here in just a bit. But you you highlighted something which I want to emphasize even more, and that is the idea of investing $100. My, my point earlier is, you know, a lot of photographers, they just don't have extra cash. Or if they do have cash, they're just particularly scared right now because they don't know, they, they don't want it. They want to hold on to what they've got just in case you know, COVID continues on and they can't shoot for even longer. Um, and I understand that apprehension, but you highlighted the the idea that you could even invest as little as a hundred bucks. You could invest $10 if you wanted to. I mean, there's in some of these, these stocks that you have the ability to purchase, you don't actually have to spend a lot of money. And, and I think what I'd like to encourage everybody to do beyond just and obviously getting the education um, that we're going to encourage today what I would suggest doing is even even just thinking about setting aside fifty dollars or a hundred dollars to begin this this journey to borrow kind of a cliche word of of investing because you don't have to put a ton of money in to be to begin with. It's more a matter of making the move and beginning the habit, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. You have to start yeah. somewhere. So if you got ten steps, you start on step one, you have nine more to go. But if you never start, you're always gonna have ten steps to go. So the idea is to start somewhere. Yes. And and, and, and can, I, can I jump in real quick? Too? Please, please, Deshaun, yeah. Okay. Um, so I know a lot of photographers had careers prior to being photographers, right? Right. And there's some who went full-time in it. Uh, a lot of times they also had uh, Roth IRAs or 401ks. Well, sure. the CARE Act was passed. Um, I, I have you know my Roth IRA set up since I closed my 401k in 2011. The, you know, most of this, the council we've had have lost a lot of money. Yeah. So the CARE Act says you can withdraw from that account penalty-free, but you have to pay it back within three years. So if you have limited funds, you still have the opportunity to, you know, while you're learning about investing, take some of that money out, you know, please co- consult with your financial tax professional. <laughs> um, yeah. But you, that's, that's an opportunity there to grab some money out of there. You're already losing it anyway. Might as well take some out cautiously and learn about investing and hopefully you can try to, you know, make back what you've lost. But make sure you follow the guidelines that you you know penalize after three years. Um, Interesting. And that's okay. just for those who've had that account set up. Prior. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Wait, I mean, that is, as you pointed out, that's, that's a, quite a few photographers have been in other professions prior to becoming photographers. So that's interesting. Uh, Tatorna, I actually have another question for you, though. Um, you know, we talked about the significance of a, of a, or at least briefly mentioned the significance of a volatile market. And what I've been learning is the volatile market actually is a, a time where you can actually make quite a bit of money if, if you're smart about it. Um, have you had an experience uh, in the last couple of months where you've seen growth in your investments during COVID? I have. Yeah, there are a couple of stocks that I own and I, I got in at a good price and it's made some, you know, some, some money so far. Where there's some where I wish I, I it was March 18th, I think was the day that most it went to the bottom. Yeah. Shares fell to the bottom. Yeah. And there's one stock in particular, I think James owns a few of those. Had I bought it on March 18th, sometime last week, I could have doubled my money. Yes. I mean, which is crazy to think about. And, and, and this is actually why I asked you the question is, is because. I want to emphasize the significance of investing, um, and, and it's it's not 100% of the time per se, but investing, particularly during a volatile mar- market, actually gives you the opportunity to make money. So while most people may be just totally freaked out, because really the only way they're used to generating any kind of income is by doing their profession, which is understandable, there is an opportunity for the future, and this is why we're having this conversation today, for the future for photographers to consider adding an additional stream of revenue through investments. And actually, when most people might be freaking out, there's even more opportunity in some ways to make even more money during a, a downturn in the market where you know most people would be freaked out because they're not generating any revenue. Um, so I love that you highlight that. And it's true. Like I was even, I had an opportunity to, to, to buy into American and within the span of, I think two or three weeks, even double my money. It was American. I was looking at uh, one of the cruise lines, Norwegian cruise lines, I think jumped way up as well, but I just didn't, I didn't know better. Had I known better, I could have jumped in on that. And that's where the education piece of course comes in and, and certainly experience and, and taking time and practicing. And, but I, I love that you highlight that to Sean. What, what is it, you know, we should maybe take a, a step back for those who have absolutely no real clue about what it means means to trade a stock or trade an option to Sean, Can you just break this down at a very basic level for those of us who are brand new to it? All right, let me start again. The basic level. I always, I use a lot of analogies. Yeah. Imagine going to your favorite store and you see, you know, let's say a shirt, you know, it's normally selling at a hundred dollars, right? So I'm, I'm going to own, you know, I want this shirt. I want to own this shirt. You know, something happens to the store and next year, next time you go back to the store, it's at $20. Now would be a great time to buy that shirt. <laughs> yeah, uh, because you know, you hopefully the store recovers and the shirt, go, shirt goes back up to hundred dollars. Uh, just like Air Force Ones, prior to two thousand and two, those shoes were like fifty nine dollars. After Nelly did the Air Force One song, it jumped up to hundred bucks wow. or ninety, like ninety something dollars. Okay. Yeah. So you want to be able to own things while they're cheap, you know, with hopes that they'll go up, you know, to a better price. Um, but owning shares, it's like a company, a publicly traded company has what's called shares. You can own you know, own shares in a company and it's on the stock in the stock exchange and you can buy a share or multiple shares of that company, making you, you know, you can own shares in the company. It's almost like owning a, a, a small piece of the company, right? Yeah, small piece. Yeah. You mean you can, and there's things called fractional shares where you own a fraction of a share, depending on the cost of it. But it's just owning a piece of that company. Okay, that's great. And I'd love just to kind of give basic context to our listeners. James, do you have anything you want to add to that? So when you're looking to, to buy, the, one of the most important things about investing is you truly, truly have to understand the company that you want to invest in. So let's say, for instance, most people have, just for example, Apple, right? Most people 
are Apple fanatics, and they pretty much know from a from a foundation. So that knowing the company is one of the foundations of investing. Hmm. And a lot of people already are already armed with this knowledge about certain companies that they're into. Now let's 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 see how we can capitalize off of that and invest in that company. So that was one of the things that I did as as an as, as, a, as a young investor, when I invested in the Apple a couple of years ago, I wasn't necessarily, uh, I didn't, I didn't I'm, I'm a Samsung person myself. So, but anyway, we, we won't, but, we'll try not to fault you for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also knew a lot about Apple and I knew a lot of people about, a lot of people knew about Apple. And the, and the key thing is when investing is not about the money that you put into the company right now is about the value that that company can bring you in the long run. Right. So the hundred dollars that you put into a company is really not the true. That's not the true value. The value is what, how can I turn this hundred dollars into $500? And, and you have to, and that's where the research and knowing the company is going to come in, is going to come into play. Cause if you understand that, okay, this company is, 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 is re this company is reinvesting into itself. It's coming out with new products. The product is in demand. So you know the likelihood of this company being able to grow its revenue, yeah. And by a company being able to grow its revenue, so you know because of that, that company is going to be able to return, you know, your money to. And this is this is from a, from a basic level. So your goal is to look at this company, understand the financials, you know, and they have many financial YouTube videos. But the key is understand how do this company generate revenue, and how do this company how can they grow their revenue and they grow their revenue by again, reinvesting the money, whether it's, you know, doing research and development and coming out with new products, coming out with new products in demand. And if you see a company that, that has a product that's in demand, go do your research on that company and see what did this company long-term goal? What are this company doing with their money? How are they investing their money? And, and if they're doing right by the investments that they're doing, the likelihood of this company being able to give you a return is going to be greater. So those are the type of companies that I like to invest in. Companies that has a long-term vision and company that invests in themselves and has a product that's in demand that I know that's going to generate revenue and consequently is going to help increase their stock price, which is going to help me increase my investment. And that's, 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 that's one of the main things I can't, I can't stress enough understanding the company and the stock that you're investing in. Yeah. Don't just go just buy into a stock because again, you're gambling because if you do that and let's say for instance, during this time, like the companies that I'm invested in, they took a big hit, you know, you know, as a result of this virus, but I didn't blank one. I didn't, I didn't blank one bit because the foundation of the company did not change as a result of this virus. So I know in the long term, this company is going to be back and greater that like the, the, the thesis of why I invested into these companies is still there. So long term, I know the company is going to be back. Now, let's say for instance, for an investor that absolutely know nothing about the company, if they invest in a company and let's say a month later you invest in, then all of a sudden you drop half your value. Now you're panicking because you have, you, you, you know nothing about the company, right? You know nothing mm-hmm. about why it dropped nor do you know this company's long-term vision. So you know what you're going to do? You're going to panic and you're going to put your money out. Interesting. And, and that's it. That's, that's something from an experience standpoint, that's what happened to me when I would just invest and I didn't know anything about the company. 
those companies would drop. I would put my money out, but guess what? A month, a month, or a couple of weeks later, the stock price would go right back up. But I had already lost half of my investment because I pulled out too soon. Right, right. But that's only because I did not know the company and I didn't know the, the I didn't know their long-term vision and I didn't know the stock. Yep. And that's the key thing about in, investing. Well, know the company that you're invested in. And, and what you're suggesting there too, just on a very basic kind of principle or principally driven level is the notion of strategy, right? And intentionality instead of just kind of, as you were saying, blindly jumping in and just taking a gamble, which it's easy to do. I mean, you can jump on an app even these days, just simple apps and just throw money in. But if you don't know what you're doing, you're, you're likely to put yourself in a pretty bad spot. So I'm, I'm glad that you set that premise. We have a limited amount of time here, but James, I know that, that you had five kind of initial steps that photographers who are interested in, in getting started in investing should take, especially if they've never individually traded in the market before. Will you share those five steps uh, with our listeners? Okay. So number one, you you want to open up a brokerage account. And a brokerage account is going to be your Charles Schwab, Robinhood is, is, is another popular one that a lot of people are are talking about now, uh, TD Ameritrade, uh, Fidelity accounts, those are your brokerage account. Uh, so you want to establish the, you know, one of those. And typically you're going to have the main two options that you're going to have, you're going to have an individual or joint account. Most people are going to use an individual account. And that's, a, that's the option that you're going to select. And and just to, just to kind of dumb things down a little bit for people like me who are like brand new to this, James, um, if you, for those of you listening in, if, if you hear brokerage account and you're like, I don't even know what that means. Basically, we're talking about a platform on which you can trade. So um, Absolutely. James mentioned Robinhood and I'm a, I'm a bit of a sucker for good design and UI. Um, and Robinhood is beautifully designed. Uh, it's it's relatively easy to use. Not a ton of, um, especially if you're using the iPhone app, it's particularly user-friendly. I've been really impressed by it. You're not going to have as many options uh, and, and as much functionality built into it as, as some of the other platforms. TD Ameritrade might be one of those. Um, mm-hmm. But it's for somebody who's just getting started, I've just found it a really easy platform to, to jump in and use. It is. It definitely is. It, it is definitely user-friendly. And you don't have to go through all, all the bells and whistles or some of the options yeah. that some of the more advanced uh, accounts have. Yeah. So it, it's definitely user-friendly. I, I definitely can agree with that. Okay, cool. So we need to start with opening in a brokerage account. And uh, we can list a number of these in the show notes, a couple of them, which James already alluded to. But we'll list, we'll list a number of them in the show notes at bocapodcast.com under this episode. Uh, what's the next step, James? Okay. Again, a ter- determine your goal. Determine your goal, whether it's long-term or short term, you know, that's, that's in long term, obviously what I spoke about earlier, you know, if, if you're going to do anything over a year to five years, understand the, your long term. And if you're a short term investor, that's obviously, that's going to be your traders. That's your traders who's going to move money in and out of the market daily. Uh, but if you're a long term investor, you want to be looking out well over a year, two, three years, maybe five years, uh, so far as your investment, investment strategy. So you need to determine that because if not, you're going to fall into the, the, the trap that happened to you, Nathan. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, I wasn't even clear about what it was that I was trying to do in the first place. Um, it's a short, I, I, you've been so patient kind of sitting in the background here, but I'd love for you to comment on this, this point. Are you particularly, are you kind of focused on one direction or the other long-term or short-term and, and what's your experience been with that? I have a mix of both. Okay. Because I have, you know, my full-time income comes from photography. So I'm trying to use this also to help fund some short-term financial goals. Yeah. 
So I have some some of the stocks I own are for long term. I'm holding that. You know, again, I've had you know one since 2012. Wow. And I'm not getting rid of it at all. Uh, so there's some. I'll make some. And I use Robinhood app as well. And for me, Robinhood tests me for my sh- more short term goals. Yeah. Only because the plat the platform is not as you know how long the platform has been in existence. It's not like the TD Ameritrade, the E Trades, and so forth. Sure. So I'm always kind of leery, like uh, while I use it. I'm trying to have the larger long-term goals in my E-Trade account. Okay. Um, so I'll jump in. I'll say I'll do a quick research, and if I can make a few dollars off of one, I'll jump in, jump back out again. Okay. So I have my long-term and my short-term goals. Um, but even now, I'm looking into the next day trading, but that comes another another conversation. Well, um, but, but it, yeah. I like that you highlight that you have kind of a balance um, because it seems uh, just as as a life principle that not going to one extreme or the other. Uh, is probably the better route. Having it a bit of a bit of both seems like the healthier approach. Would you agree, James? Oh yes, definitely. Uh, especially during a volatile time that we have going on right now, this is actually a good time to, if you know what you're doing, to be able to do some trading right, right now and to make some quick money. You know, but uh, but at the same time, you also need to establish some long term investments. That's some of these stocks that's on sale now that can return you. Uh, some great gains in the future. So I would definitely say definitely have uh, potential both. But as beginner investors trading, you can really get yourself in some trouble if you're trading and you don't know what you're doing. You'll have a lot better luck if you do it long term, because if you don't know what you're doing, trading, you you may get yourself into some trouble unless you know what you're doing. So I would suggest any beginner investor to probably focus more on the long term, not short term, because short term, uh, it's a little bit more advanced. Sure. No, that um, totally makes sense. And I think that's that's really healthy advice. Um, so we're going to start with a brokerage account. Uh, we're going to determine what our goal or goals are. What's the third step, James? Third step is to, again, uh, like, like we spoke about earlier, research the company, research the industry, and the stock. You want to know, you want to know, you know, the company, and you also want to understand what, where is the industry, where is the industry going, you know, so far as this, this, this uh, product or this technology or whatever, is, is it inclining, is, is it inclining or is it declining industry? Yeah. You know, and that, that'll help you get an understanding of the, the potential growth, whether it's in that company or is within that industry. Uh, because again, we want, the goal is for this company revenue to grow. You know, we want the company to grow. We don't want we don't want a company that's on the decline. And uh, are, are so, you using particular tools to do that research? Yahoo Stock uh, is, is a great platform where you can. It, it, that's most. That's mainly what I. If, if I see a stock and I want to do a quick research on it, yeah, that's something that I go to first. Yahoo Stock, okay. Yahoo Investment. I put in the company ticker symbol. Uh, that is the company symbol that's associated as that's that's being traded on the stock market. So that's the ticker symbol, symbol, uh, and it's made up mainly of letters for the for the people who don't know anything about the ticker symbol. Sure. And that's something that I put into the Yahoo stock, research it, and it have the financials, income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statements. It'll give you a history about the company. It give you the stock performance, you know, over the years, you know. So that's something that I use to to do a quick research, and then from there. Uh, obviously, I you know if I'm and then if, if I'm interested, then I'll go take it further and and go dig a little deeper. 
That makes sense. Okay. I'm, I'm actually, as you were talking, I'm in the process of bookmarking that for myself and downloading the app. So I'll have to look into that myself. So the third step then is to research the company and then take us to the fourth step. So the fourth step, and that's when you were, you know, obviously you want to have some money available in, in that brokerage account. Again, your TD Ameritrade, Robin Hood, Charles Schwab account. So you want to transfer some money, whatever that money may be. And then you determine the, the company that you're comfortable with and you have an understanding of to a degree. Again, you don't have to you don't have to have it all, but again, you want to start from somewhere. Right. Then you're gonna go and you're gonna buy the stock. So there's main there's there's two main options when it comes down to buying stock. You're gonna have when when you go to select your stock, you're gonna have whether you wanna buy market order or you wanna have a limit order. The market order is gonna when you hit click and you have it on market, it's just going to buy whatever the market is selling for, that stock price is selling for at the time. But if you do a limit order, it's going to sell the, the stock at the price that you want it to sell for. So right now you, you have a, 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 a you have an XYZ stock and it's, it's selling for a, a $10.50. So if you do market and if, if the market, if it just so happened to go down to two to $10.40, it's, it's gonna it's gonna sell at ten dollars and forty cents. But if you have it at limit, it's at ten is at ten fifty, and you put your limit at ten fifty, it's only gonna sell at ten dollars and fifty cents, no matter where the stock price moves. Unless that stock price hitting ten dollars and fifty cents, that's where it's gonna buy. So know those two uh, buy or sell orders as it relates to purchasing or selling your stock. Yeah. And this is a mistake that I've made already as well, where if you don't place a, a limit order, and very, again, just to kind of simplify terminology for everybody listening in, you can you can go in and just place and, and place an order for, as James pointed out, whatever the market is selling that for. And and if, if you go to place this order, especially in Robin, and you can actually see there's a range, but what's likely going to happen is you're going to pay at the top end of that range if you don't yep. put a limit on it. The limit order is saying, you know what, I'm only willing to pay this much per share for this particular stock and you set that limit. So unless it comes down to that, you that order won't actually go through. And that's that's a more, again, proactive, strategic way to go in and purchase um, shares in a particular company if you're going to do that for the first time. Yep, that's that's important. And that's one of the growing pains that I had as a new investor. And that's why I, I put that one on, on my list uh, to mention because yeah. I, I got screwed up. Many times, because I just didn't know at the time. No, that, that's great to highlight that. I, I could have even just recently, the other day, um, I think I lost a number of percentage points just off the bat with this particular order that I placed because, again, it was just an ignorant move on my part. I just placed a market order and I, I could have gotten in lower and ultimately made more. So that's a good reminder. Um, as we're closing out here, take us to that fifth step, if you will. And that last step uh, that I like to mention, buy slow. Don't just put all of your money in. Just buy in increments. Again, so if you if you have a thousand dollars, just buy increments of that stock of that stock at a time. Do not put all of your money in at one time. Yeah, and you you would you would you would see the benefits of that. And that's and that that is what we call an investing. You want to average your costs. You want to either average it up or you want to average it down. But you don't want to be all in all in at one stock price, and you don't have the ability to buy in at a cheaper price if the stock price go down. Right. So that's, 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 that, that would be my, one of my uh, other main uh, advices that I would give. 
don't put in don't put in all your money at one time. Well, and to go along with that, something that um, from this particular service, and I won't I won't name names at this point because I I've just started with them, so I don't know if I can effectively recommend them. But one of the one of the good pieces of advice that I've already gotten from the service um, thus far is a very simple reminder, which is don't invest money that you can't afford to lose. In other words, Absolutely. if there is a risk, as James has pointed out, there is a risk that that a good chunk of this money goes away and that maybe even in some cases you lose all of it. You, the last thing that you want to do is put so much money in that you put yourself in a bad spot financially. So to James's point, buy slow, invest in small increments so that if that money does go away or large chunks of it go away, it doesn't ultimately hurt you on a significant level financially. Do start slow, start small. Um, Tashorn, again, you've been so patient and I really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, I want to come back to you with, with this last question here, um, uh, about, I want to, I want to, I want to add something to that as well. Please. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Those who, and this is for after we start to generate income again. Yeah. Uh, the book profit first. Yes. The system there where it talks about allocating funds towards your profits and every 90 days or so write yourself a check, you know, so you can spend the profits of your business. Uh, what, I've been doing was taking the profits, the money from a profits account to fund my investments. So instead of worrying about, well, I don't have the money to pay for it. If you use a profit first system, mm. you can use funds from your profits you're generating to in your investments as well, because you have to spend it on yourself anyway. Might as well put it in your investments. That makes sense. Yeah. And we'll make sure to link to that book in the show notes. It's come up a number of times in the podcast and, and I, I need to jump in and read it myself. So I appreciate it's that recommendation. I'm, I'm, yeah. And so I need to read it even more <laughs> let me, now. <laughs> let, me tell you, let me tell you, right. Because of that system, I'm at a place where while people are panicking about money, yeah. I'm not really that concerned yeah. because I implemented the system last year, late last year, to where it's like, I'm good. And, and I hear you on that. Um, I've been, I'm lucky enough to be in a similar place, largely because I've been saving. What I want to do now is begin to proactively manage my money through investments. Mm-hmm. And so this is where the, the conversation, of course, comes back or we're coming back to this conversation. And, and I really can't thank both of you enough for making time to do this, to Sean for setting this up, James for joining us for the first time. Um, and just a last quick question before we go, but for, for both of you, actually, and we'll start with you, Tashorn, what resource or resources uh, do you recommend to photographers if they want to, to begin learning a little bit more about investing in the stock market? I like to watch, you know, CNBC sometimes. Uh, I think James watches a lot more than I do. Okay. Um, but it's, you know, I watch it here and there. Uh, more so, I've been watching a lot more lately because of, because of the volatility of the market. Uh, the Motley Pool is a good resource guide. They yes. tend to send some recommendations as well. Yes. Um, you, you know, everything's with a grain of salt, but those are two, I think that has been good for me. And I use it, the Yahoo finance as well, that, the, uh, that app Yahoo finance. Yes. So I'm on that regularly trying to just look for future things. Yeah. Motley Fool is interesting because you can, they have, I guess, like many services, a free version and then a premium or, or a paid version. Um, I currently actually have both because their paid version wasn't that expensive, but even the basic information that they have on their site uh, about just, again, the basics of investing. If, if those of you listening in, and this is really geared toward those who have either done little to, to no investing uh, previously, if you're wanting to learn the basics, Motley Fool is actually a, a great site to go to, to, to learn terminology and some of the principles behind investing. So we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. James, and we have a- well, go ahead. I also, I'll say we also have a, a Facebook group we created since the conversation sparked uh, a couple weeks ago. Cool. It's called Investing in Corona or Investing Doing Corona. Okay. Yeah. And we kind of post tips here and there, you know, a couple, couple, you know, couple times a week or throughout the week, we post tips. That's pretty beneficial. Awesome. Okay. We'll, we'll find that and link to that in the show notes too. This is really great. And then James, uh, lastly, I want to come to you. Any other additional resources that you would recommend for education for our listeners? 
Yeah, so my my main resources again, uh, like I spoke of earlier, uh, the Yahoo Finance uh, YouTube is is a great resource to learn from. Uh, I would say that I gained a lot of knowledge about investing from YouTube. Uh, CNBC is is a tool that I use to, especially like when watching Jim Cramer. Uh, they, they they speak about a lot of a lot of different companies, a lot of different stocks. So sometimes I get ideas of companies to go look into to invest in, you know, because they give a lot of great advice. So CNBC is, is definitely uh, a tool to use. If you know absolutely nothing about anything, it is definitely. So in addition to giving you the company to potentially invest in, he also gives some insight, you know, in about the company uh, that can give you a little bit more confidence that, you know, you know, because you don't know anything about the, about the stock, it can give you some some hands-on advice on uh, some information about the company. So and that's one of the great benefits of looking at CNBC and looking at Jim Cramer. I'm not saying follow everything that he says. So let me just say that, but, <laughs> He's a little uh, bit of a freak for anybody who doesn't right. know. <laughs> he can be. And then also, uh, I, I also have the, uh, the app called Market Watch, okay. uh, which is also a great app uh, because news also plays a huge role into investing, whether yes. it's on a micro or macro level. Yes. So it, it gives you more of what's happening, you know, with the with the market overall, in addition to your company. And that's also going to play a, a role in uh how you can position yourself so far as an investing and when to invest. And that's gonna that's gonna be dictated by what's happening on on a global uh level and on a domestic level. So market watch is definitely a great tool also to get some news because news plays a huge role in investing. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, a massive role in fact. And, and I'm learning about that as well. It's, it's and this whole thing is it's overwhelming if you try to take it in all at once, but it's actually quite fascinating. And again, just to bring the conversation around as we close now, the, the main reason I wanted to highlight the significance of investing um, is the realization that I had in the last few weeks or so, which is there is opportunity for us as business owners, more specifically photography business owners, to generate a stream of income through investing that not only could set us up well for the future, uh, but also even carry us through and, and even put us in a better financial spot during volatile times like this. It's, it's a really fascinating concept. Again, there's so much behind it. And, and I want to emphasize again, this was not meant to be professional advice today. Do talk to to a professional or, or a number of professionals for that matter, or at the very least, um, you know, to Sean mentioned earlier, uh, the Motley Fool, it's, it's literally just fool.com. It's kind of a funny name, but they have a whole section that is called, if you look in their, their navigation, that's just simply called how to invest. And if you, if some of these terms and uh, some of the uh, the points of conversation that have been had during this episode were confusing to you. I get it. I'm still trying to figure some stuff out too. Start with the basics, go to that site and and just start going through each of the sections and begin to familiarize yourself with some of the terminology uh, before you even make a move. And then some of that stuff will make a lot more sense when you actually jump into, you know, when you go to Yahoo's finance website, for example, some of the terminology will make a little bit more sense. You'll be able to better understand what they're communicating to you uh, from there. So, I, I, again, I cannot thank you enough. I'm so excited about this conversation, um, what it can mean for photographers and uh, also what it even means for me. I'm excited about the possibilities and ultimately being more proactive with my finances and doing something that will actually generate revenue, an additional stream of revenue. Um, to Sean and James, thank you so, so much for making time for the Boca podcast community today. My pleasure. Absolutely, Nathan. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.